0: Everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Lanides. And this is a kind of a special uh, interview of sorts discussion. We don't normally do this. Normally it's me or Josh interviewing somebody else, a fighter or a journalist. But we decided to take a different route this week. And we are going to talk about, in light of Fedor signing and then making his debut with Strike Force. Uh, back in uh, in 2009, we're going to talk about you know who's the Mount Rushmore of MMA heavyweights. Who's the greatest? I've made no bones about my feelings on the subject in that I believe that Fedor is the greatest heavyweight in MMA history, and I think most uh, MMA journalists would agree with me. And I did some research and saw his name at the top of of lists and that sort of thing. Uh, just so you know, we are. Kind of going off of uh, some different articles, Bleacher Report, CBS Sports, and that sort of thing. But I didn't even ask how Josh is doing today. Josh, how are you doing, man?
1: You know, Phil, that's the most important part of the show. Yes, I absolutely. thought you would know that by
0: now. My, my deepest and humblest <clears throat> apologies. <laughs> All
1: right, no, I I'm looking forward to this conversation because. There's so much to talk about. There's so many great fighters over the years, and a lot of it did not happen in the UFC. So I know we're going to rely on your deep research into MMA beyond just the most recent successful promotion. So this is going to be a fun fun conversation for sure. And um, I'll just tip my hand right now and say, you know, I'm a big Fedor fan too. So I don't think we're going to be disagreeing too much about that number one spot.
0: All right. Well, the way that we have the structure, we're going to kind of talk about some of the the pioneers, some of the early heavyweights, and then some some former champs that don't quite make it onto Mount Rushmore, and then kind of the step below, uh, you know, the still elite but not not quite the final four, and then you know we'll we'll discuss. I, I've got my Mount Rushmore ready to to discuss, and then you know, of course, Josh, you can you can disagree, but let's. Let's dive right in, and I want to make make it clear we're talking about the when we talk about the greatest, you know, the the heavyweight goats. When we talk about the greatest of all time, it's not necessarily the most important. And I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. So, I consider Tank Abbott to be a very important heavyweight fighter for MMA for NHB as it was called, no holds barred back then. But MMA, the UFC in the in the nineteen in the nineties. I mean, he's obviously extremely important. If anybody You know, if you you want to throw any names in there in the heavyweight division, I don't think there's anybody that had the impact or was as important as him as far as being a draw in in the 90s. Uh, You had, you know, Dan Severin up there, and and we're going to talk about him in just a second. But, you know, Ken Shamrock was really a light heavyweight, maybe even a middleweight. And then you got Hoist Gracie, who's a lightweight. So, really, Tank was the the guy in the heavyweight division, even if he didn't win very very often after – his first few fights. So this is really talking about the greatest, you know, the most skilled, the most accomplished, you know, that sort of thing. So I want to make that clear. But speaking of the beast, Dan Severn, UFC <laughs> Hall of Famer. You were scaring UC... me there. You said, speaking <laughs> of the beast, you were yeah. scaring me. Okay. Yeah. Not the beast incarnate, just the beast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> UFC Hall of Famer, UFC tournament champion, UFC super fight champion, over a hundred MMA wins against fewer than 20 losses. His name doesn't get mentioned as much today as it used to, but uh, Dan Severn, I mean, definitely one of the greats at heavyweight for sure. Um, You know, some big wins in his career and and somebody that deserves a lot of respect. Another guy, Mark Coleman, Mark the Hammer Coleman, the godfather of ground and pound, UFC Hall of Famer, first ever UFC heavyweight champion, two-time UFC tournament champion, Pride 2000 Grand Prix openweight tournament winner, one of only two fighters to win tournaments in both Pride and... And the UFC, so Coleman. I, to me, if you are going to talk about like pioneers, the best or the greatest pioneer, I think it's Coleman. I think Coleman's the guy. Um, but, but you know, he was just very one dimensional. I mean, he basically he had Godfather ground and pound, so he'd take you down. You know, this guy was an Olympian as a wrestler, and he'd take you down and he'd pound you out. And if you could, you know, he he didn't have the greatest gas tank. As did you ever see the the Pete the very famous Pete Williams knockout, Josh? Do you remember that?
1: No, I don't. Um, I've obviously heard about it, but I don't recall seeing the clip. No,
0: it's you should definitely check it out. Jo- uh, um, or Josh <laughs> Coleman had started to really—he was gassed. I mean, he was and 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 he was jacked to the gills. I'm not saying he was on steroids. I, I don't, I don't know, but he sure looked like it. Uh, but Pete Williams, who was a lion's den fighter, so can Shamrock fighter, uh, had basically been able to avoid uh, Coleman's best stuff. And, and in the end of the fight, uh, he was able to kick him right in the face and you could see Coleman's eyes roll back and he just went down and it was a huge, huge deal. Definitely the highlight of, of Pete's career. And, uh, you know, definitely not one of Mark's biggest moments, but I mean, a guy that, you know, again, even kind of reinvented himself as a light heavyweight later in his career, had a lot of really important fights in both the UFC and pride. So he he's definitely one of the greats as a fighter, you know, I, he, you, and Josh, I know you have some thoughts on this, that it's really in any combat sport, it's really difficult to look at it and, and view the best heavyweights of a different era through today's eyes that, you know, if you had Joe Lewis, you know, perhaps the greatest heavyweight boxer of all time, uh, if you had him compete against Mike Tyson in Tyson's heyday, probably wouldn't have gone as well for, for, for Lewis, you know? So, it's really difficult to look at fighters like Mark Coleman, who again were so one maybe two dimensional, and think that he would be as successful today if he was in his prime. Probably not. So that I, I, that's that's one of the difficult things. I you know we hear about there was a a pitcher I think for the Red Sox that said a couple years ago about Babe Ruth that you know Babe Ruth would never be able to do what he did all those years ago um in, in baseball today, and and that's a fair thing to say. It's probably true. The game has evolved and changed. There's more pitches. There's you know all kinds of of, of different things that are are that would make it more difficult, and that make the players today more skilled. I remember reading because uh, I used to read baseball history just voraciously as a child, and I remember reading about Scott Erickson joining the 90 mile an hour club in mm-hmm. like like 1990 or something like that. There was a big deal that a pitcher was regularly consistently breaking 90 miles an hour with their fastballs. Like now, if you don't throw, you know, 95, you're, you're going to have to rely on guile and, you know, you're probably later on in your career or you're a knuckleballer, you know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's difficult to, to compare today's or, you know, the fighters of yesteryear to today's and, and, and be fair about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's hard
1: because we're all biased, right? So, you know, we're having this conversation today and, we're probably going to have the most recent memories in mind and in the moment right like you know when dan Severn, mark coleman you know the others we're going to talk about you know when they're pulling off their biggest victories in that moment we're all thinking oh my goodness they're the best heavyweights of all time you know and so it's constantly going to change i mean John Jones may end up being the best heavyweight of all time by the time it's all said and done. We we don't know because not if him he, and
0: Dana can't come to an agreement on money. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> you know, and and, and, and
1: um, it, it's it's really hard to compare. But I think that it, what is fair and accurate is to say there's a certain group of special athletes that, no matter the generation, definitely stand out. Yeah.
0: All right, there's one more I wanted to mention in the the pioneer division, so to speak, and that'd be Kevin the Monster Randleman. He was a former UFC heavyweight champion and is uh, is a UFC Hall of Famer. Um, you know, not not a long run as a heavyweight, but definitely, and really was more of a light heavyweight. Uh, but he he definitely had some some big moments, so uh, he, I wanted to mention him as well. All right, then we jump into a class that was basically former champs that don't make it to quite to the elite status, but had a big, big impact and had a lot of success. The first one uh, that I want to mention is Tim, Tim Sylvia, the maniac, you know, he's the first two time UFC heavyweight champion. He's a guy that I think was very important for that time. He had some big fights with Arlovsky and, you know, he, he, you know, got knocked out by Fedor in, in pretty spectacular fashion. And, um, he, he definitely had some big fights. He, was huge, 6'8", plodding, you know, not a a really fast guy, but a very hard worker. I don't think he was a great athlete or supremely talented necessarily, but he had power and and he had, you know, he had the gumption and the want to. So he he fits in as one of the greats, but is actually kind of an example of overall, and Josh, you and I have talked about this, that, you know, just the – MMA has not had a great history when it comes to heavyweights. I mean, there's just – there are there are some greats that we're discussing here today, but you start – man, you start getting into middleweights and welterweights and light heavyweights and lightweights. I mean, pretty much any other division, and it's just so deep as far as the, the greats go. But with, with heavyweights, we're including guys that – I mean, pretty much if you were alive – it's not fair to say if you were alive and breathing and in the division you had a shot at the heavyweight championship – uh, in the UFC in the, you know, the mid two thousands, uh, that's not really fair to say, but it did seem like the guys there just weren't, they just weren't that great. I mean, when it, when it comes down to it, but they've got the, the accomplishments because you know, somebody had to, had to do it, I guess. I, does that make sense, Josh? I, I, I some of these guys, I've just, I, you know, a little surprised that they would make the list, but just be, it shows the lack of depth in the heavyweight division historically.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the UFC and and particularly in its sort of boom period starting, you know, in the mid-2000s. And obviously UFC goes back before that. We're not talking about a whole lot of years. So it isn't as though we have all of these heavyweights who've had these long reigns and we can sort of say this is the best heavyweight, you know, of all time. It's tough because... I you mean, you've got fighters, and this is true of all divisions. I mean, think of how many fighters have called themselves the greatest of all time. I mean, Conor McGregor called himself the greatest of all time. Uh, uh, you know, Tyrone Woodley at one point was calling himself the greatest Walter Waite of all time. There's just not enough history for anybody to make that statement. So, you know, a guy like Tim Sylvia or, you know, Josh Barnett, th- these guys who've had great moments, were strung together a few good wins. Yeah, they they are definitely, you know, guys that we need to remember and, and consider as being really pivotal, pivotal, pivotal. <laughs> but it's hard. It's really difficult. I mean, we're going to talk about Stipe Miocic later. I mean, four title defenses? Give me a break. I mean, you know how many title defenses guys oh in God. boxing Dude, have? <laughs> Joe,
0: Joe Lewis, they had what they called the bum of the month club. And that was essentially his monthly title defense. I, I forget how long, and I'll look it up as you're talking, but how long he was champion for. And, and, you know, obviously no disrespect to guys like Muhammad Ali. I mean, probably the GOAT, you know, at, at, at heavyweight. I still think I'd go with Tyson. I think Tyson would destroy these guys. But uh, it, it's, it's – that, and that's what makes these conversations fun, by the way. But I think that really, truly, even though we're kind of doing this way, we're doing it in the end, really the only fair way is to go by era. I really think that's I mean cuz you know the 90 the, the 90s were the wild west when it came to drug testing right I mean and then in Pride you had very little drug, drug testing so it, in the in the 2000s so was it fair that guys like Vanderlei, you know were destroying guys and and you know like probably roided it up so uh, Alistair you know Uberim and that whole th- so it's it's yeah. there's different you know it's again you go back to baseball with the the steroid era and all, you know you got guys that are the best of all time that aren't in the Hall of Fame because they were juicing so there's different challenges to every era so it's really not fair to compare eras but it you know but as to your point the MMA history comparatively to other sports is so short it actually kind of think I kind of think it makes our job a little bit easier you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, we'll get to Brock. I'm sure he's on your list somewhere.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, in a real
1: sport, I'm sorry, Brock Lesnar would never get a title shot, but he gets a title shot after stringing together two wins. Yeah. And and he's now this icon of the division for a moment in time. It's just just interesting the way the UFC you know promotes. I mean, you got to win twenty. Mike Tyson had won. 22 fights before he got a heavyweight yeah, something, championship something like that. Yeah. Something and he like would knock
0: everybody out. Yeah. You know? Right. So. Yeah. And I, so to uh, g- bring it back to Joe Lewis real quick, I, I looked it up. So he reigned as world heavyweight champion from 1937 to 1949. So 12 years, he had 26 championship fights and defeated 21 fighters. Um, he finally, um, uh, he was victorious in 25 consecutive title defenses. So no, he has the longest single reign as champion of any heavyweight boxer in history. So, yeah. pretty you know, pretty 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 amazing. Uh, so when I'm sure when I said you know he's considered by many the goat, I'm sure there's people that um, don't you know don't agree with me, and that's that's fine um, because like I said, it's it's really difficult to not uh, compare based on you know the the past and 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 all of that. So. And I, and I think yeah. uh,
1: longevity is one of those things, too, that's really key. Uh, I think, you know, when we talk about the Mount Rushmore, I bet we're going to talk about guys who had a long career, and, and that yeah. makes a difference, too.
0: Yeah. And by the way, Tyson won his win over Trevor Burbick to win the WBC heavyweight title, become the heavyweight champion at 20 years old in 1986. That was his 28th straight win. So he fought 27 <laughs> times. And won 127 fights before he got his heavyweight shot. So, oh
1: my yeah. god. Dana White would have had a title shot. Oh god. 5, he five yeah. fights. Yeah. He'd have been burned out by 10 and he would have yeah, been in the seriously. WWE, you know, a year later. Yeah. <laughs> seriously.
0: <laughs> All right, so uh, let's let's burn through some more of these. Uh, I think Josh Barnett's worth mentioning Pancras Openweight Champion, runner-up in the heavyweight Grand Prix tournaments in both Pride and Strike Force and the youngest UFC heavyweight champion in history. Uh, had some steroid you know, steroid issues. And, and so I, I think that's kind of held him back. Some uh, Rico Rodriguez, UFC heavyweight champion wins over Andre Arlovsky and Randy Couture. I really think Rico would have had a chance to be one of the true greats, but he got into partying and let his weight get a, out of, control and all kinds of stuff. So he had kind of too much too fast uh, was, was the situation with Suave as they called him. Arlovski is worth mentioning. You have former UFC heavyweight champion, former interim UFC heavyweight champion, most wins and fights in UFC heavyweight history. So you talk about longevity being relevant. I mean, this is a guy that we're talking 2005, I think was really when he really made, uh, made his bones, so to speak. And now here he is, in 2021, 16 years later, still competing, you know, still in the UFC. Not, you know, not somebody that uh, is gonna, is in line for a, a title shot. But I mean, I, I believe he had strung together uh, uh, four, so something like that. He's, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at his record now. So he's he, won had, two... he had a nice
1: recent comeback before he lost again.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. So he's he's won. He had uh, he had won three of his last four, and then he just lost to Aspinall um, in, uh, in February as we, as we record this. So, but the, yeah, this was a guy that was, uh, I mean, he fought in the UFC. The first time he fought in the UFC was in November of 2000. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty, um, that's pretty amazing. He wins the interim belt in 2005. So I got that date, right. And, uh, but yeah, that, I mean, he's, he's definitely up there as a very, again, a very important fighter, uh, we, so we brought up Brock Lesnar. All right. So Brock, former UFC heavyweight champion, one of the biggest draws in UFC history. I mean, they just, you cannot, regardless of how you feel about him. And that's why he got a shot at the belt at, uh, what was it like his third fight or, or whatever it was? I mean, just pretty ridiculous if you think about it, think about it that way, but this was a guy that had made a huge, huge impact. So yeah, he, yeah, he was two and one. Or yeah, he was two and one. Yeah. He was two and one as an MMA fighter, and one and one of those fights wasn't even in the UFC. So he'd gone <laughs> one and one in the UFC, and he gets a title shot against another name that'll come up, Randy the Natural Couture, who then he I guess justifies it by win by winning the belt, right? <laughs> so definitely, I I think Brock's up there more for his importance versus his actual. You know, career. I mean, do you do you want to guess at what his uh, his final record was?
1: Uh, probably around like six and three or something yeah, like that. Five, uh,
0: five, three and one, with the no contest being the last fight against Mark Hunt, which was a decision victory, and that was overturned because he tested positive for a cl- clomiphene, whatever yeah. that is. Which he had I some think, bad steak. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he said it was due to like a foot cream or something like that, but. <laughs> But that was, you know, that was coming up on five years ago. I think it's fair to say he's probably done, but, you know, you, you never know. But, yeah, he's definitely more on here for his talent and his drawing ability versus, you know, actually being, like, you know, a true a true great.
1: Well, Next he, one you has, know, sorry, oh, but ahead. he had the diverticulitis uh, yes. battle, which so you kind of don't know how good yeah. he could have been. Um he obviously – just like pro wrestling, right? Like I don't know where Brock Lesnar's heart is. He did oh, his not heart, have a... his
0: his heart is wherever he makes money. That's yeah, that's, and, that's where his heart is.
1: And if his heart were in MMA, maybe he would have had a longer career. But I don't think he ever wanted to fight just because he wanted to see himself fight. He wanted to make as much money. And one of the unfortunate things is you know the pre-Forttida era and the pre-Dana White era a lot of those heavyweights are not remembered as well as they should be like Arlovsky. Now Arlovsky came back and obviously fought in the UFC, but you know, guys like Brock Lesnar are going to be remembered a lot more just because they were around when the UFC was its most popular and for a short time on top.
0: Yeah. Good point. Good point. All right, moving along, Alistair Overeem. So this is to me, he's very close to being elite. Uh, you know former K1 world grand prix champion former Strike Force heavyweight champion Only Dream heavyweight champion which Dream was basically the successor to Pride only fighter size only fighter to simultaneously hold three heavyweight belts in Strike Force K1 and Dream one of only two fighters to win a world championship in MMA and K1 so a a huge deal uh, you know, steroid questions and, and different things like that. But obviously one of the most skilled fighters, one of the most skilled heavyweights in history. And he comes very close to being elite. And I think if he would have won the UFC heavyweight championship, I think he would be, I think he'd be on Mount Rushmore. I mean, it's just hard to take that away from him for the longevity, how dominant he, he's he been at times, the the big wins that he has in his career. Uh, any any thoughts on alistair what do you is you think he's ranked too low you think he's ranked too high what are your thoughts
1: phil i have mixed feelings on alistair overeem i i really enjoyed his career as a strike force fan seeing what he was able to do and then transition into the ufc but he could never win the big fight and you have to win the big fight at least once there's questions i mean If you look at Alistair Overeem's body, I mean, there's there's no doubt that there's some mystery there in terms of how his body changed. So I don't know if that's fair, but there, you know, he's a small guy. I hate to say that. Like, if you look at him naturally, he's really like a middleweight, light heavyweight. So, you know, it's a weird thing. He's one of the best MMA fighters of all time. I will give him that. But he was never able to win the big fight when it counted. And he got knocked out just because, honestly, he should have been like a light heavyweight. He just could not handle heavyweight power. I mean, he almost got his lip torn off, you know, recently. He's just very good, very skilled, very fun, nice guy, but probably should not have spent most of his career at heavyweight.
0: Yeah, he's... uh... There's a lot of questions there. I, I think his skill set was there. He definitely suffered from, you know, a bad, uh, or honestly a, a glass jaw, but a bad chin. But this is a guy that had some some really important wins. It mm-hmm. just seemed to kind of come at the wrong time. I mean, he beat Fabricio Verdun. He beat Mark Hunt. He beat Arlovsky. He beat, beat Junior Dos Santos, Roy Nelson, Stefan Struve, Frank Mir, Brock Lesnar, Verdun a second time. Uh, you know, this is a guy that has some massive massive wins. He beat Mark Hunt twice, actually. I mean, this is a guy that's got some massive wins, but it seemed like every time he'd be stringing together, you know, the, the opportunity, you know, enough wins to, to be able to get the opportunity to get a heavyweight title shot, you know, he would, he'd lose. And that, like he got a shot against Stipe back in 2016 and he got, he he lost in, in the first round, you know, so it's, he got knocked out, you know, in the first round. So and then he comes back and he beats Mark Hunt and Fabricio Verdun and then he gets a shot at, at Engano and he gets knocked out and then he gets knocked out by Curtis Blades and then he wins a couple, you know, <laughs> smaller ones and then he loses to R- Rosenstruck. So, he just you know he beats Walt Harrison, Augusto Sakai, and then loses to Alexander Volkov and gets bounced from the UFC. So, I think you're right. He just never seemed to be able to string together the wins at the right time. He also would move around promotions a lot. So, it, yeah, it just seemed like. He almost was cursed in in a way. I mean, that's for a guy that's been as successful as him. That sounds pretty ridiculous, but I I feel like he was he's just so close to being, you know, that at least that elite right below Mount Rushmore. And if he just, I think if he won the UFC heavyweight title, I think he'd be on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. You know, maybe defended it once or twice, but but he's not. So another name I definitely think is worth bringing up, Frank Mir. I mean, former UFC heavyweight champion, former interim UFC heavyweight champion, second most fights and wins in UFC heavyweight history, most finishes in UFC heavyweight division, wins over Tim Sylvia, Brock Lesnar, Antonio Rodrigo Noguera, Chuck Congo, Crow Cop, Roy Nelson twice, and Bigfoot Silva. I mean, I, Mir is, is definitely up there, and I think right on the cusp of, of being elite. He also has a, you know, a good amount of losses. So I think that kind of keeps him from, you know, making it into that elite status, but, but definitely a great and definitely somebody that I think deserves a lot of respect um, for what he's accomplished. It's just his record. He's 19 and 13, you know, so mm-hmm. he's, and he'd been knocked out 10 times. So I think he's got a lot of, I think the, that amount of losses and especially getting finished that many times Kind of, uh, you know, kind of kind of kind of keeps him from making it to that elite status, but still a very, very important uh, person in, in MMA history and um, somebody that I, I think is uh, maybe doesn't get mentioned as much as he should as far as being the one of the heavyweight greats.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. You know, he famously tapped out Brock Lesnar in his UFC debut. So Heck let's, let's put him as high as we can just for that.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So now we get to the, what I consider to be the elite, but not quite uh, not quite Mount Rushmore status, but the elite. And this um, I'm going to uh, we're going to save the, the guy that is probably the most controversial as far as where he belongs uh, for last. So I want to mention Crow Cop. Uh, this list of accomplishments is is pretty crazy. 34 of 38 career wins came via finish. 34 of 38 wins came via finish. The records, I, I didn't even include all the most finishes in Pride, most knockouts with kicks. Like oh, There's so many of those records, it's ridiculous. He's the only person to win K-1 Pride and Ryzen – Grand Prix championships. One of only two fighters to win a world championship in MMA and kickboxing with Alistair Overeem being the other one. Only MMA fighter to win three World Grand Prix championships. Wins over Kazushi Sakuraba, Kazuyuki Fujita twice, Igor Vovchanchyn, Alexander Emilianeko, Josh Barnett three times, Kevin Randleman, Mark Coleman, Hidehiko Yoshida, former Olympic gold medalist, Vanderly Silva and Barnett, by the way, Josh Barnett and Vanderly Silva in one night, Gabriel Gonzaga, King Mo and Roy Nelson, and on top of that, one of the best fights, definitely one of the best heavyweight fights in history, uh, his pride fight with Fedor Milianenko, which Milianenko won by decision, but but Krokop held his own and, and uh, you know, had, had, had the, the last emperor in trouble. So he's somebody that I think kind of similar to Alistair. I think if he'd won the belt in the UFC, if he'd had a better run in the UFC, uh, I think he'd be I think he'd be on Mount Rushmore. I mean, but definitely one of my absolute favorite fighters of all time. I mean, almost impossible to have a boring fight with Krokop in it. So he's he's worth mentioning. Daniel Cormier, DC, former strike force heavyweight Grand Prix champion, former UFC heavyweight champion, former UFC light heavyweight champion, first fighter to successfully defend titles in two weight classes, the fifth multi-divisional champion in UFC history, second simultaneous multi-divisional champion josh i want to stop here and get your thoughts on dc i I think what hurts him is not he wasn't a heavyweight for that long he was really more at the end of his career but what are your thoughts on dc does he belong this high does he should he be lower should he be should he be on mount rushmore what what are your thoughts on dc
1: well dc is definitely a special athlete because he got started kind of late and he made the most of his size Uh, a lot of people kind of wrote him off and thought well You know, he's a great wrestler, and then he got inside the hexagon, and he was a knockout guy. Like, he hit really hard, and so I think DC, like pound for pound, is one of these guys who's done the most with what God gave him. And he is definitely impactful and legendary. He won the heavyweight championship. Um, You know, he was so good, and he beat so many guys, and he was so versatile, it's hard because he choked <laughs> twice against John Jones. and I know we're talking about the heavyweight division, and I know one of those victories was thrown out because of high TRT levels, but there's a feeling about DC that he's perhaps maybe just just like there, but not quite all the way there. Uh, he did not have a long run as a top tier heavyweight. Uh, he got more concerned about John Jones, and honestly, you know he was tight with King Velasquez. I don't know that you can call him the greatest heavyweight of all time when he don't want to fight his best friend. He's got to drop down. I don't know uh, a great a great competitor, done a lot for the sport. And pound for pound, really really made an impact with what his natural attributes were. But I think the John Jones. Uh, domination hurts him, and I think that uh, he's fun to watch. But uh, you know, I don't think he's definitely about Mount Rushmore. I just don't think he had the longevity to put him there.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree. That's why I think that's why I think that um, putting him where he is, it's almost based on talent and what he's able to do in the light heavyweight dig- division. If I was going to drop anybody from this elite section lower, it might be him, but. You know, it's kind of what you're saying earlier about. He, he just he's in my memory from you know being being a, an elite heavyweight so recently in our in, in history. Uh, so yeah, I, I I would agree, and and maybe he should be lower on this list. So that we'll just we'll just leave it at that. All right, Fabricio Verdun, former UFC heavyweight champion, former interim UFC heavyweight champion, the guy that ended Fedor's 27 win fight uh, 27 win streak. Uh, wins over Alistair Overeen, Alexander Milianenko, Gabriel Gonzaga twice, Brandon Vera, Bigfoot Silva, Roy Nelson, Rodrigo Noguera, Mark Hunt, Cain Velasquez, and Alexander Gustafson, and, of course, the the Fedor win. I I flirted with the idea of putting him on my Mount Rushmore. Um, just, just I mean, a guy that's been so important for so long, he has so many big wins. It's hard not to put him on Mount Rushmore, but I, I think he falls just a little bit short. Uh, does have some big losses, so he's he's right on the cusp. Then we get to JDS Junior Dos Santos, former UFC heavyweight champion, wins over Fabricio Verdun, Frank Mir, Kane Velasquez, Shane Carwin, and Stepien Miocic. He's he's hard to keep off Mount Rushmore because of of the amount of quality wins that he has. How dominant he was for a while. Definitely a big time big time guy. Don't think he quite makes it to the final four, but but definitely in the conversation. And then finally, our last fighter in the elite but not on Mount Rushmore and po- perhaps the most controversial uh, in, as far as not being in the Final Four, Kane Velasquez, former two-time UFC heavyweight champion, wins over Czech Congo, Ben Rothwell, Rodrigo Nogueira, Brock Lesnar, Bigfoot Silva twice, and JDS twice. So, it, you know, it's hard to hard to put JDS in that Final Four if you're not going to put Kane Velasquez, the guy that beat him twice. So, Josh, before we get to those the, the Final Four, Want to get your thoughts on Kane being not not quite in my this is now this is my list, but not quite making it to Mount Rushmore. What are your thoughts? Do you think he deserved to be there? Uh, and perhaps we wait till we get to the through the final four and and see if uh, see if you feel that way. But does he go on your Mount Rushmore? Just side unseen on who my final four is.
1: Well, I think he deserves consideration as the last guy on Mount Rushmore, depending on who else is there. Uh, Kane was plagued by injuries, but if you could go back in time to when he was healthy and he was this incredible wrestler, dangerous on the ground and dangerous in the stand up and the UFC division had never seen anyone like him. He was bilingual. He was potentially a crossover star. And he was for a while a huge draw for the UFC. He was really skilled. I mean, he was as good as any heavyweight has ever been in the division for a moment in time. I, I think I can say that. The problem is that Velasquez was injury prone. Yeah. If you The names you said he beat, I mean, those are not the best names in the history of MMA. I mean, it's great that he beat Brock Lesnar, but most guys would have beat Brock Lesnar. And uh, Junior Dos Santos, those fights were legendary. Those were almost painful to watch. There were such beatings, even the Bigfoot Silva fights, uh, you know, he, he he dominated when he did. But um, you know, I, I, I would say that Kane, just because he was so impactful in the sport as a Mexican, American, heavyweight, who was somebody who was a crossover star and who kind of did something no other heavyweight did before him in the UFC. So I mean, I think he's worth the conversation. Obviously, he did not last long enough. How cool would it have been to see him against Stipe? Okay. To see him against some of these guys who uh, were considered per- perhaps on Mount Rushmore. Uh, we, won't, we don't really know because he, uh, you know, he got tapped out by Fabicio Verdum in Mexico. And then uh, and he got hurt. And... Uh, He got knocked out. Did he get knocked out by Francis Nagao as well? Yeah, in his his last fight, in 26 seconds. So, yeah, he lost his heart. So, I don't know. I mean, I think he's definitely a great one for sure.
0: I I just – I think in the end it's the injuries. I I think that's what keeps him from just, you know, the lack of being able to – to, to be able to consistently be, be in there, you know, and that's, and that's what I think what ends I mean, he ends up at 14 and three, which is just not a ton of losses or I'm sorry, not a lot of win, uh, fights period for a heavyweight that fought from 2006 until 2019. I mean, it's, it's just slightly over one fight a year, you know? So yeah. All right. So we get to what I consider to be our final four. Um, this is again, my list, not Josh's. So if you disagree, you can come at me. Uh, but my four, and I'm going to lay out all four, and then we'll go through each one of them. But it's Randy, the natural couture, Stipe Miocic, Rodrigo Minotaro Noguera, and Fedor Emelianenko. So I'm going to start with Randy. For, uh, he's a UFC Hall of Famer, former UFC heavyweight tournament champion, former three-time UFC heavyweight champion. I didn't realize he'd won the, won the heavyweight title three times. Two-time UFC light heavyweight champion, former interim UFC light light heavyweight champion, first multi-divisional UFC champion, most championship fights and reigns in UFC history. That's still he's still the guy today. Oldest fighter in UFC history to become champion, to be a champion, to defend a title, and win about wins over Vitor Belfort, Maurice Smith, Kevin Randleman, Pedro Hizzo, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, Tim Sylvia, Brandon Vera, and Mark Coleman. I so this is. Having Randy on here is, I think, to me makes sense because of the amount of accomplishments. Would Randy be a great heavyweight today? Probably not, but if for his era, he was great, and uh, you know, at two different divisions, huge, huge wins. I, I, I just Randy, just on the sheer amount of accomplishments, I think has to be here. No, yeah, I, I, I oh, yeah, agree sorry, with go ahead. No,
1: just quickly we were just talking about longevity, right? And what have you done over time? So I agree with you. Uh, he definitely is somebody who, who deserves to be there. Yeah.
0: Now Stipe Miocic, I don't, you know, I haven't, I haven't watched as many fights recently over the last really 10 years since I left the sport, I followed it closely, but it's not, I, I haven't seen Stipe fight uh, a whole bunch, but so I put him on here just based on his you know, recent success and a lot of people saying that he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. And then you do look at his record. Two-time UFC heavyweight champion with four total successful title defenses, which is a UFC record for the heavyweight division. Wins over Gabriel Gonzaga, Mark Hunt, Andre Arlovski, Fabricio Verdun, Alistair Overeem, Junior Dos Santos, Francis Ngannou, and Daniel Cormier twice. So it's hard. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think he deserves to be on here, being that – you know his longevity, the most successful title defenses in the in UFC heavyweight history, the names that he's got under his belt, uh, and just how well he's performed and how great great he's been as the sport is at its most evolved in history. So, uh, Stipe, it's again hard not to have him on there, and and I think I think it's well deserved. Any any thoughts on Stipe?
1: Well, I think that uh, Stipe... Is there because he won the UFC championship? If Stipe had not won the UFC championship, I don't think he he belongs there. He's had four title defenses. He's a good fighter. Uh, Alistair Overeem is a better fighter than Stipe Miocic. I I have no problem saying that. The problem is Alistair lost to Stipe, and Alistair could never win the UFC heavyweight championship. Um, I'm big on being able to be great for a long time and. Uh, Stipe has definitely had a good run, and uh, he's a tough dude, and he he's unique, and he knocks people out. If I were to bump somebody off this list <laughs> so far, I don't know. Um, it's a tough one. Uh, I, I like him. I like watching his fights. I think Stipe needs to come back and win a few more fights to be on Mount Rushmore.
0: Okay. Well, he may be done. If I'm him... I, I am very seriously considering retiring at this point. I mean, he's 38 years old. You know, he's put his body through a lot. He's earned, you know, the money. He's he's he he's earned it. If he wants to step away, um, you know, I, I think Nganu is just too I'm too big, too much power. I mean, all that stuff. So, if I'm Stipe, I'm stepping away. But uh, if he doesn't, he comes back and you know becomes a three-time heavyweight champion. Good God, yeah! I, how could you keep him off this list? So. I think
1: he, I think he can beat Nganu. Like he just has to fight the whole fight, every minute of every round, and he's got to have a game plan because uh, he he was doing okay. He's beat him before. Uh, you just you just can't get hit. But I mean, he's a better fighter than he is. I mean, my God. And Ganyu's and just like, um, you know, he hits really, really hard. And uh, he's getting better. But, but you know, I think Stipe deserves one more shot with that guy. And he's just got to fight every second of every minute of every round. And he'll win. All right. All right.
0: Final two. Rodrigo Minotaro Noguera, UFC Hall of Famer, former UFC interim heavyweight champion, first pride heavyweight champion, and uh, also an interim pride heavyweight champion, Wins over Mark Coleman, Dan Henderson, Rico Rodriguez, Mirko Krokop, Sergei Haritanov, Bob Sapp, Fabricio Verdun, Josh Barnett, Tim Sylvia, and Randy Couture. Okay, I want to mention the only reason I have the Bob Sapp win on here is because he was getting destroyed. Like he got like essentially, if I remember correctly, I think he got like power bombed in that fight. And the fact that he was able to deal with that in what was probably a very roided up Bob Sapp at that point, and to tap him out, I, it was it was a pretty incredible win. So I'm, I'm not because Bob Sapp's name is worth being mentioned with those other names, but just because at that point it was a it was he <laughs> survived and persevered. A, a testament
1: to his resiliency. There you um, go.
0: There you and his ability to take punishment. So I've got I've got Minotaro on here. He's if I were going to drop somebody from this list and tra- you know bring in like Kane or Crocop or. Fabricio, it would probably be this. It would probably be him. Um, In fact, I believe he lost uh, to, yeah, he lost to Fabricio. It was was, his third to the last fight in his career. He got submitted by Fabricio in that really nasty, like, I think his arm was, like, Oh, no, no, That might've been the Frank Mir one, but yeah. And then also he does have a lot, he's got 10 losses and I mean, he lost to Stefan, Stefan Struve, uh, Roy Nelson and Fabrizio Verdun his last three fights, uh, and then lost to Frank Mir. he lost f- uh, four of his last five fights and, and, uh, you know, for such a submission whiz, he, two of them were, you know, due to submissions. So, you know, as this, you know, he lost to Cain Velasquez, uh, he actually lost to Frank Mir twice, once by TKO and once by submission. He lost to Josh Barnett. So, you know, and of course the very famous fight with Fedor Emelianenko, which was a great fight. He lost by decision, and actually lost the belt, the Pride belt, to to him. So, as if I have one regret, it might be him. Um, but I, still, you know, one of the one of the greats, and and I think he's earned it for his era, for being on, you know, for for what he did in that time. Um, I'm not going to ask you what you think because you, you know, you, as you've said, you didn't watch a lot of Pride, um, so you didn't really get to see Nogueira a ton. Uh, although he did, you know, have this uh, pretty strong run in the UFC. Um, man, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. He actually, had eleven fights in the UFC. I didn't realize he had that many fights in the UFC. So, uh, but definitely, definitely one of the greats. And then, you know, has, Phil, Phil yeah, anybody
1: who beats Bob Sapp is there. Yeah, yeah. You know, he great. deserves
0: it just based on that. All right, and then we get to our our final pick. I want to kind of rush through this because we are, I don't want to rush through it, but I we're, we're running out of time. So, um, but I do want to mention, of course. Um, Fedor. I mean, it, it, to me, he is the greatest pride, former pride heavyweight champion. He held the belt from 2003 to 2007, former pride heavyweight world grand prix winner, 27 fight unbeaten streak wins over Rodrigo Noguera twice, Kazuyuki Fujita, Mark Coleman twice, Kevin Randleman, Crow Mark Hunt, Tim Sylvia, Andre Orlovsky, Pedro Hizzo, Frank Mir and Ray, Rampage Jackson. Although the Rampage Jackson one is nothing to be too excited about based on how rampage, the type of shape he came into that fight, but still it is a win over a big name. Uh, so yeah, to me, Fedor Fader is the greatest heavyweight of all time. I think a prime Fedor today would still be dominating because the hands, the quickness, the, I re- I read a quote today as I was preparing for this and, and I can't, it's I'm paraphrasing, it, but essentially like a, a psychotherapist had looked at Fedor and said, you know, his humility and, is uh, the, you know, you wouldn't look at an opponent when, you know, during the stare down before the fight, but then he would cast a glance up and would look through you. And he basically kind of indirectly compared Fedor to like a sociopath. <laughs> it's yeah. just once he gets into that, like he's into fight mode, he becomes just merciless and um yeah, he doesn't look at you. He looks through you. And, and so uh, and he said, uh, you know, with Ley, Vanderlei, with Vanderlei's very famous, you know, axe murderer stare, you think this is going to hurt. And and with Fedor's just a little fleeting glance, you think I might die. So uh, in his, in his own way, the most intimidating heavyweight in history. But I mean, just for the the longevity and, and even, you know, even getting wins today. I mean, you know, I didn't put Chael Sonnen on here because Sonnen is a. Yeah, he fought in the heavyweight tur- tournament in, in Bellator, but, you know, he was at the end of his career and also just, a you know, really a middleweight, obviously. So, um, but Fedor is still, still winning and, and, you know, going to do this retirement tour with Bellator, which I'm excited to see. I saw the other day that they're talking about possibly Dos Santos or Alistair over him. I would love to see Fedor and Alistair go at it because uh, they never did that. And, and that'd be a, a fitting end to his career. I would really love to see him and, um, uh, Fabricio get, get a rematch, but, un, unfortunately Fabricio, you know, now he signed with the PFL. So he's, you know, they that's probably not going to happen, but, uh, pretty amazing to, to, to just look over his incredible amount of accomplishments to me. He's the heavyweight goat definitely deserves his spot on Mount Rushmore. Any final thoughts, Josh on, on Fedor and just overall kind of what we've been discussing here.
1: Well, I like Fedor here because, you know, he's a fighter. Uh, forgive me for being sexist here, Phil, but he's a man. He's a tough guy. Like, he loves fighting. And he's been doing it for so long. So many of the other people who, who fight, you know, they're in it for money. They're in it for the glitz, the glamour. Um, you know, they say they're the best. Fedor was this humble guy who would go out there and give 100%. He wasn't like dominant where he would kill guys in a minute. He would figure out a way to win. And that shows a high level of athleticism. It shows a high level of confidence and skill that he was able to work inside, you know, depending on, you know, whatever it was, uh, you know, the ropes or the cage, wherever it was. He was able to go out there and find a way to win and not just during an 18 month run, like for a decade. (laughs) And even though he's not as good as he used to be, he still finds ways to win and he still beats decent guys and he's still fighting. So I think here's a guy who loves the sport. He's an incredible athlete. He's unique. He was never on steroids at all. That's obvious. And, you know, you could, you could, you know, I would say anyone who's listening to this, who's like, oh, Fedor never won the UFC title, like, stop watching MMA, stop watching the <laughs> UFC, because, you know, you're just basically a shill for Dana White. I mean, the UFC, yes, today has the best MMA fighters in the world, because they're the most successful promotion, but Fedor Emilienko was the best for a decade and he was the draw. It didn't matter what the name of the company was that he fought for. So I agree with that. I, I mean, I'm side of like like every fighter. I get sad when their era is over. I didn't like seeing him lose to some of these people. And when he lost to Fabrizio Verdum, I literally felt like, you know, somebody just broke up with me or something. Like I I like my had a hole in my heart, you know. Yeah. Until I I could get it fill it up with a beer, you know, after the show. It was like, I can't believe I am so sad here for no reason other than this fighter lost. That's because he was so dominant for so long and he lost. So I agree with you that uh Fedor is definitely on Mount Rushmore.
0: All right. Well, I hope uh, listeners. I hope that you enjoyed that, Josh. For thank you for taking the time to do this. I want to mention again, we are now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. There's going to be more information. Uh, coming up ahead on that, but make sure you, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, we have lots more that we're going to be covering in the coming weeks and months, and I'm really enjoying going through all this. And we're in a really fun time in force history, so it was great to uh, great to connect on this. And this was, you know, we we obviously just covered Fedor versus Rogers, so I wanted to, you know, kind of go over where Fedor's place in history is, and and so this this seemed to be a good time for that. Uh, but with that. Um, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. You can find us at the Hexagon Pod, and of course, you can reach me at Phil at InsideTheHexagon.com. Would love to hear from you. But we hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy. We will see you soon.
2: valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with a pro tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, Go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos!